Good morning, church. My name is Ike Nicholson. I'm the senior pastor here, and I want to extend a special welcome to you on this Easter Sunday as you've gathered to hear a word from the Lord. I know that some of you um, uh, would have been here no matter what. Others of you are here because your spouse drug you uh, or your children drug you, and I'm grateful that you're here too. Thank you for being here this morning. Um, as, As we begin, there's a reason that we came together today. Today is Easter Sunday. It's Resurrection Sunday. And this is the essence of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This is the essence of the Christian faith. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would encourage you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew in the 28th chapter. So Matthew is the first book of your New Testament. And if you don't know where that is, don't worry about it. Look in the index and you can find it. I'm going to be reading that story today, the, 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 the scripture today that uh, tells us why we're here this morning from Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to be reading from a version of the Bible called The Message. So it may be a little different than uh, the version that you have, but uh, I pray that you'll hear the, uh, the power in this message from Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse uh, 1 of uh, Matthew 28. After the Sabbath, as the first light of the new week dawned, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to keep vigil at the tomb. Suddenly, the earth reeled and rocked under their feet as God's angel came down from heaven, came right up to where they were standing. He rolled back the stone and then sat on it. Shafts of lightning blazed from him. His garments shimmered snow white. The guards at the tomb were scared to death. They were so frightened they could not move. The angel spoke to the women. There is nothing to fear here. I know you are looking for Jesus, the one they nailed on the cross. He is not here. He was raised, just as he said. Come, come and look at the place where he was placed. Now, get on your way quickly and tell his disciples, he is risen from the dead. He is going on ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. And that's the message. The women, deep in wonder and full of joy, lost no time in leaving the tomb. They ran to tell the disciples, and then Jesus met them, stopping them in their tracks. Good morning, he said. I don't know about you, but I mean, Jesus, good morning. Are you kidding? Good morning, he said. And they fell on their knees, just like you and I would do. They fell on their knees, embraced his feet, and worshiped Jesus. Jesus said, you're holding on to me for dear life. Don't be frightened like that. Go. Tell my brothers and sisters that they are to go to Galilee and that I'll meet them there. This is God's holy word. May God give us the wisdom to understand and apply that which God is teaching us today. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I get a little bit nervous when people come to me in my office, especially, or at home, or my wife comes out into the living room and says, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. Well, I'm the kind of guy that likes the bad news first, and I've had a lot of bad news this week, haven't we? This past week, as our law enforcement officials 
determined that there was a credible threat, our schools were closed. And an intense hunt was launched for a woman who was obsessed with the Columbine Massacre, which we commemorate and remember that happened 20 years ago. Schools were closed. Our police officers and state troopers were looking for this woman. Parents and grandparents were afraid. And yet, if your experiences were like mine, it didn't really seem like a whole lot had changed with regard to traffic on the streets or shoppers in the stores. I mean, it's almost as if like we, if we've grown used to this kind of threat of violence. It's just a, another part of life, another part of the day of life. And you know what happens is a lot of folks criticize Christians, and they say, you Christians are just people that always think about the fluff and your good news and, and this and that. And the struggle here is, is that's not exactly true. And if you've been in a house of worship, if you've, if you've assembled with a church, you know that's not the case. It's, we're Christians. We don't deny that there's bad news. We know that there's bad news. We just say that there's also some good news. There's some good news as well. Well, the 20th century author G.K. Chesterton, I don't know if you've read any of his works. He's famous for the Father Brown series. You might have caught that on television. But he was also a, uh, 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 someone who critiqued culture. And he said that our culture is guilty of something called chronological snobbery. Chronological snobbery. Well, that makes sense. I mean, how many of us don't celebrate the fact that uh, we are the benefactors of 20th century, 21st century technology? We're so proud of ourselves and our culture. Our, 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 play, our, our people, our neighbors are so proud of themselves that we have thrown off the constraints of, of rules and regulations, that we're free to do whatever we want to do, however we want to do it. And we don't pay any attention to the fact that in the 20th century... Wars have killed over 108 million people. That is more people than have been killed in every single war in every single century prior to the 20th century. If you're like me, you see on social media or in the press the number of people who celebrate social Darwinism or Marxism as an economic reality, to the extent that social Darwinism and Marxism has become some sort of new secular uh, religious worldview. We live and die by it. We think that that will save the world, as if it hasn't been tried before, and we forget the fact that by the governments who embraced Darwinism and the governments that have embraced Marxism, over 100 million innocent people have been put to death. Chronological snobbery indeed. As a matter of fact, the advent of social media promised us that we could be connected to anyone around the globe in mere seconds. And yet, folks who study this say that in the time that social media has been around, the rate of loneliness in our world has nearly doubled. And even that young woman who took her life on the other side of the mountains has now added her name to a statistic of over 1,100 people 
who have taken their own life this past year in Colorado alone. I guess that wasn't all the bad news that we heard. Not too long ago, a study was released that said that social media and technology has impacted our ability to focus. It seems that we have an incredible access to knowledge these days, and yet we have so little hope and so little wisdom. As a matter of fact, a recent study that was sponsored by Microsoft uh, reviewing folks in Canada determined that the average person in Canada, the average adult in Canada, can only maintain uh, their attention span for eight seconds. Eight seconds. That same study said that goldfish are able to maintain their attention span for nine seconds. (laughs) That means that your goldfish is going to pay attention to you longer than you're going to pay attention to it. The study also suggested that children who are 10 years old and younger can maintain their attention span for up to 11 minutes, in some cases up to 50 minutes. What we probably should have done is has had all the kids that left staying here, and you guys go downstairs. They'd probably still be paying attention to me. And then, of course, we all watched with awe as we saw The Notre Dame Cathedral on April 15th catch fire and began to burn. The place upon which Notre Dame is built was the original site of the Temple of Jupiter, one of the greatest pagan temples during the Roman era. After Christianity became the official religion of the empire, uh, the the, uh, Temple of Jupiter was destroyed and uh, a church built to to honor the the name of St. Stephen was erected. St. Stephen is the first martyr of the Christian faith. You can go to your Bibles and read his story in Acts chapter 6. And there, that church stood for over 700 years until the 12th century when it was torn down and Notre Dame was built. And from the steps of Notre Dame, the Third Crusade was proclaimed. It was the center of the French Revolution. After that, Napoleon had himself crowned emperor of the ancient European empire. And what's really powerful about that, that, that church, that, that monument to truth, is, is the fact that those stones, many of them which had been taken from the original church of St. Stephen and turned into the Notre Dame, those stones have seen literally millennia of human history. And what's really intriguing about all of that is those stones in that cathedral have seen so many changes, more changes than you and I will see in our lifetime. You see, in the time of Jesus, it was known as an oral culture. That is, is that folks told stories, and that's how they were passed down. And giving in to what Chesterton said about chronological snobbery, we somehow looked down on those folks because they couldn't read and write, and we forget the fact that they had the ability to memorize speeches verbatim that if you wrote them down, would take up to 500 pages. As a matter of fact, in the 7th century, when Islam was founded, the Quran was written. And it wasn't unusual that in the 7th century, the average Muslim, not the unique Muslim, the average Muslim could memorize the entirety of the Quran, 77,449 words. 
If you wrote that down, it'd be 826 pages, and they could memorize all of that verbatim. We must be careful, because if you're like me, you forget where you laid your car keys this morning. (laughs) The stones of that cathedral have seen so many changes in culture. As a matter of fact, when that cathedral was built, it was called the Poor People's Book, or better translated, the Poor People's Bible, because they depicted every scene in the Bible in stained glass, statues, and painting for a people in the Middle Ages who couldn't read. And that's how folks came to understand the gospel message and scripture from those beautiful stained glasses. And culture continued to change, and then it became a written culture, which gave rise to Western civilization, that which we take so much pride in. When we saw Homer's The Iliad and The Odyssey, we, we, we saw great works uh, of, of literature from Shakespeare, Plato's Republic, Dante's Divine Comedy, Tocqueville's Democracy in America. When that Frenchman said there's no way that this democratic republic as known as the United States of America would ever, would ever survive. We saw George Orwell's 1984 written. Some of you had to read that back when you were in middle school or maybe high school. And one of the most prophetic works of the literary world, Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451. You see, 451 degrees Fahrenheit is the temperature that paper burns. And Bradbury suggested that there was a day that was coming when the masses would be influenced more by media than they would be by the written word. Thank goodness that hasn't happened, right? (laughs) And my wife, Sean, and I, when we were watching... The scenes on television of Notre Dame Burn, we were amazed at the number of secular French citizens, many of them who probably have never been in a church building, stood on the streets outside of the burning cathedral and sang the Ave Maria. And Shauna said, even as Western civilization crumbles, there's still within each of us an awareness of what made our forebears great. While you and I and so many of our friends and neighbors wallow in the mud of consumerism, as we wallow in this idea that life has no meaning, when we wallow in this idea that my experiences and what I want are most important. You see, we've had a lot of bad news. And I've just given you some bad news that is cross-cultural, that's across the globe and across nations. That way I'm not picking on any of you. But if we look at those bad things that have happened, the the issues of greed, the issues of ignorance, the issues of, of indifference, It's easy to point to those things and say that there are examples of them. But at the same time, I know that if you're like me, you're also looking into your heart and you're saying, do I struggle with those same things? It's all bad news. Just like there's been bad news in the press, there's also been bad news in your life. Every single one of us have been touched by grief. Every single one of us have been touched by brokenness. Every single one of us have dealt with bullying or hate, or anger, or malice, or gossip. But there's some good news, brothers and sisters. There's some good news. You see, before the stones of Notre Dame were laid in place, before the walls of the Temple of Jupiter were laid out by the Romans, way back, 6,000 years ago, as the first human took a sharpened piece of reed and put it to a wet clay tablet, they began to record some good news. 
that culture, which could remember 77,449 words, began to tell a story about the one true God, the creator of the universe. And they told this wonderful story about God who, who didn't even lift a finger, if you go back and look in Genesis chapter 1. He just merely spoke, and it happened. Let there be light, and there was light. Let the light be in the expanse of the heavens and separate day and night, and it was so. Let the sea bring forth living creatures, and it was so. Let the land bring forth living creatures, and it was so. And then it said, let us create human beings in our own image. And it was so. And then God said, it is good. You see, that's the binary nature of creation. You know what that means. You don't need to be a Bible scholar to understand this. You don't, you don't need to be a grandmother to understand the eternal value of this. You don't need to be a Sunday school teacher to be able to put this in words. I mean, we just need to look at the first couple of chapters of Genesis and we can see that we have day and we have night. We have water and we have land. We have earth and we have sky. We have male and we have female. And to each of us, this creating God granted us a tremendous gift. And the gift was freedom. Freedom that we might love our creator with the same unrelenting love, the same wholesome love that he has for us. And this, this, this gift, this gift of freedom, it made us creators too. He poured his spirit into us. He blew into us his breath and his life and his love. The other side of that is it also gave us the freedom to choose. We had the power to love and the power to hate. Or perhaps even better said as Pastor Drew said at our Maundy Thursday service, an even grievous sin, the power to be indifferent, to not care. It gave us the power of obedience and it gave us the power of disobedience. Now that's the problem with bad news. It's relentless. That's the problem with darkness. It doesn't give up. And it whispers to us lies, lies that we believe, lies that say all we've got to do is hit confirm, and suddenly that person is our friend. <laughs> or worse yet, when they say something, when they pour out their heart in grief or pour out their heart in celebration, all we've got to do is hit the like button. And we've joined them in solidarity before we move on to the next political rant or cute cat video. You see, the bad news is even more sinister because the bad news tells me and you that we are self-sufficient. We can make our own decisions. That we're wealthy enough to afford our own dreams. And if we can't afford them with cash, we have this little plastic card. Don't worry about paying for it. That's later. Darkness tells us that we can find meaning outside of our Creator. That we can be something that our creator never created us to be. That we can find earth, heaven on earth so that we can relegate the idea of a resurrection to fables or to children's myths, to primitive cultures. Living into what Chesterton said, that we have committed 
chronological snobbery. We listened to the hiss of the serpent. As the serpent spoke to us in Genesis chapter 3, not only can you be gods, but you deserve to be your own god. And we believe that lie. And in believing that lie, what we really did is we did not liberate ourselves from God. We sold ourselves into bondage to sin. We gave God back the declaration of freedom and we accepted the chains from darkness. You know what I mean. Paul, the writer of Romans, knew what we mean because Paul writes, he says, I don't, under, I don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. And the thing that I want to do, I just can't do. And suddenly, we were confronted with the reality that we're not free. Because we could no longer choose, but we were compelled by the bondage of darkness to do evil instead of good to hate instead of love, to be indifferent, to not care instead of love. And the result of this selling of our souls was death. Not just a physical death, but a spiritual one as well. Because suddenly we realized, and it may be the reason you're here this morning, that you're without hope, that you're without mercy, that you live your life in a state where no one shows you any grace. And one day you woke up and you realized you're not free after all. You're a slave. I'm a slave to darkness, to brokenness, to hate, to malice. And suddenly the realization came upon us that we are destined to always fall short, to never live up to the fullness of what God had created us to be. But there is good news. That's what the word gospel literally means, good news. And the gospel tells us that God himself took upon himself flesh and became human. If you were here or at some other church at Christmas, you probably heard somebody read that from the Bible because we are told about Jesus' other name. His other name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. That through Christ... Through his obedience, through his love, through his death, he has received the end result of our rebellion, even death itself. Now, now for some people, that's the end of the story. I don't know very many people who come to the Good Friday service and don't come to Easter, but I suspect there might be a few, because for some that may be all that they need to hear, but that's not where the story ends. That's not the end of the good news. You see, as darkness cheered, as darkness celebrated the fact that not only their goal of you and I being held bondage, you and I dying, God himself died. And as the darkness fell over the earth and the powers of darkness cheered that God himself was dead, 
heaven began to count. Three, two, one. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And in that moment, when Jesus threw off the shroud of death, he did something very powerful. Those chains that keep us bondage, he took those chains and he threw them into the pit of unquenchable fire where they were destroyed. That's what Paul, I got to read this to you from Romans chapter 6. That's what Paul meant. That's what you and I witnessed 11 times this morning. Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, that's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we're lowered into the water, it is like the burial of Jesus. And when we're raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us raised into the light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going and we might experience this new grace-sovereign kingdom. Now, I'm just going out on a limb here that there might be a skeptic in the room. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. I honor you. I honor your questions. Because I think I need to listen to you. And the, and the church needs to hear you. Because your questions are important. Because the skeptic might say to me, how can you believe? How can you believe when children are forced to learn in the shadows of violence? How, how can you believe when so many have testified to the meaninglessness of life by taking their own? How can you believe in the midst of persecution and hate and war and poverty? How can you believe when children with bellies bloated from hunger and a planet scarred by greed? How can you believe? And Paul says again in Romans chapter 8, he understands. I understand. I, I feel the same thing, but. Paul's words capture my heart. He says this, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so let me say, I have hope because of the resurrection. I have faith because of the resurrection. I believe with all my heart that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And I confess that truth with my mouth. There is salvation for you. There is freedom for you. There is purpose for you. There is truth for you. And that truth is Jesus Christ. Oh God, we come before you this day, not by words of an orator, but by the Holy Spirit. We come to you this day, not because of the apologetics or teachings of scholars, but because of the Holy Spirit. We come to you today, not because we have been convinced, but because your Spirit has drawn us unto yourself. And so, Lord, we surrender all of those human things, all of those chronological snobberies of our culture, and we throw ourselves at your feet just as those women did, and we worship you. 
For in you, we have hope. In you, we have life. In you, we have freedom. In Jesus' name.